0: Welcome to Language During Mealtime. Certified speech language pathologist and children's book author Becca Eisenberg brings you creative professionals from the language learning and children's education field. With these ideas, parents can help their children with special needs improve language and reading abilities.
1: Welcome to my podcast, Language During Mealtime, episode number 55. Today, I'll be interviewing Dr. Lisa Pena. Dr. Lisa Pena is the author of Waiting for the Lightbulb, The Ramblings of a Crazy Gritty Mom. She is also founder and president of the nonprofit organization MOCA, Moms of Children Who Have Autism. She is the blogger behind the MOCA Tribe Diaries, a website and blog devoted to squashing the idea that autism has a single story. Dr. Pena is a Today Show parenting team contributor, and her writing has been featured on national blogs like Scary Mommy and Love What Matters. She is also director of the Ultimate Mocha Session and the Labeled in Love Retreat, both retreats for moms with special needs children. Dr. Pena is a proud wife, a clinical pharmacist, passionate public speaker, and busy mom of three children one of which who has a unique subset of autism and pathological demand avoidance. Definitely check out Lisa's website at www.mochatribediaries.com because throughout the podcast, we're going to be talking about all the amazing things that Lisa has on her website. It's just tons of information and great support. So thank you so much for being here today, Lisa. Yeah, I'm yeah. really excited to talk with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So I I guess the first thing I want to talk about is your book. And I just found it to be very powerful and inspirational for, you know, for parents. Um, Could you just give me a little bit of a synopsis of your book, Waiting for a Lightbulb, and your writing process? Sure. Um,
0: So this, our story, well, the story of the book, starts back a couple of years ago. Uh, It's a fairly new released book. It's only been about a year that it's been released and published. Um, But this was a time when we had just completed ABA therapy for my daughter. We worked really hard to get that therapy, had to move to go get what we needed. Um, That's another long story. And then when we came back, you know, it was one of those times in our lives. And I find this a lot with special needs families and, and moms in particular, um, you know, regardless of what we're going through or how bad things get or good things get, we're always so hopeful. You know, it was one of those times that I was so hopeful. We had done everything right. We had given up everything to go get her what she needed. We came back, we brought it back. It was like this, it was going to be this victory story. And, uh, I realized how much we had changed in in the nine years, you know, since she had been born. And so I thought what a cool way to commemorate her 10th birthday by a really good memoir of, you know, um, of her life so far. And by this point in our journey, I had two other children who are younger um, than Isla. Isla is my 11 year old with autism. And uh, she had a brother and sister at the time. And I remember thinking so much has happened in the last nine years that these little kiddos will never know. They're never going to know this story. And if I don't write it down, I'm probably going to forget it too. <laughs> so I I took um, a chapter per year of her life. So every, every chapter is a year of her life. And um, I just made a really crazy outline and tried to remember all of the details as it related to our autism journey in particular. Um, and a little bit, you know, a little bit of our family and life as we went along the way. And so, um, the thing is that, so the first nine chapters I wrote retrospectively, so they had already happened, right? I was kind of going back and remembering all of these things and all of these feelings, but then the 10th year uh, the 10th chapter is written in real time because I had already decided to write the book at that time. So as you know, Becca, I uh, that chapter is the longest. <laughs> it's the longest and uh, maybe even the hardest and most raw uh, to read because it was written you know, as it was happening. And well, as you know, it wasn't quite the victory story we expected. And I think that that, that realness shines through. And I think that's why people have related to it so much. So-
1: Well, yeah, I think that's, that's what I love about the book is that it's very honest. Yeah. You know, and I think it's, it's just very, it's very engaging to read. Um, And, you know, what was the, I mean, the writing process, you know, you told me each chapter was per year, but did you learn, did you, were you able to look back at things a little bit differently as you wrote it? Because, you know, time had passed because sometimes you know, when you think about certain times, you think about it a certain way, but actually going back to that specific time in writing, was that any different for you? Yeah. So one of the surprises
0: about writing, I initially intended to write this, of course, for my children, right? And my family. But... Um, as I was writing, I had to really go back and look at documents, papers, emails I sent, uh, reports from the doctor, from the therapist, pictures, you know, all of that stuff. And I was not expecting it to be as cathartic and therapeutic that it ended up being for me. I think that was the biggest thing because as I went through it and looked at, I mean, you're talking, you know, every, every special needs parent knows this hundreds of documents of doctors and therapists and exams and IEPs and arts uh, teachers emails. And I remember as I went along being sad, being sad, right. There's a sad component of that in that we, our family had to struggle through this, but there's also just, I was just so proud. You know, I felt proud that uh, we had really done a lot. For our girl. And I think that was a big, um, it was almost like self-validation <laughs> that I needed to see that. But yeah, it ended up being really cool. And I think another big part of the book that most people won't know if they don't know this backstory is, um, you know, I am from a very small town in the tip of Texas. This is not one of those areas of the world where we have publishers like knocking on your door. We don't have a lot of fine arts or theater or film, all of that creative work. Um, it's coming slowly, but it's really not here yet. And so I had to do this by myself. I knew that if I wanted to publish a book, I was going to have to learn how to do it by myself. So everything you see from the cover to the graphic design, to the copyright, to the words, to the formatting, every single thing I did myself. I either learned it through Google or YouTubed it or did some kind of online tutorial to learn um, because I knew that it was going to be something I had to do you know, alone in that, in that respect. And so it truly is a passion project um, and was a labor of love in more ways than one.
1: Well, yeah, because I just think about it too. I mean, because you're working and you have, you, yeah. know, you have two other children. Yes. Um, so, how did you find the time to, you know, to write? Because I, you know, when I speak, because when I speak to other parents, I know a lot of other parents express interest in wanting to, you know, journal their experience and be able to reflect. Um, and one of the questions I had is just, how did you? find the time. I mean, obviously you were passionate. So that, you know, that motivation, that,
0: you know, that makes a big difference though, because when you're passionate about it, you stay up later and you wake up earlier. And, you know, I, I knew that that was the sacrifice that it was going to take. And so this was literally something that I would do under the covers in the middle of the night, or I'd wake up and get an idea and I would do, you know, 30 minutes to an hour of writing or in uh now, you know, with all the technology we have, I have so many pieces of chapters written on my iPhone. You know, I was waiting for a gymnastics or I was in therapy waiting for Isla to get out or, you know, just jotting down, um, my thoughts or ideas. So it was a good year to year and a half of just accumulating the information where every day you do a little bit. It's, it's not easy. It's not easy and it's not fast. Um, I will tell you that I probably am a, 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 probably a faster writer than most. And all of this was so real in my life that I think that's why it was a little quicker for me, you know, cause it was all, it wasn't make believe it had all happened. And so, um, uh, I have a really organic way of writing and that I just throw it all out there. And then I was able to go back and edit and put piece things together a little better once I got all the information there. But yeah, it, it, it was very difficult to find the time, but I know for me, um, it was worth it. Probably wasn't very smart health-wise <laughs> to lose that much sleep, but uh, it, it was worth it for the end result to me. And I think that if there's enough passion behind it, it'll be worth it for, you know, for anybody else. But, but it definitely has to be something that you, uh, is that important, you know, it's that important to share.
1: Well, I think it's also what you were saying, a gift to your children and also a gift to the community, yeah. you know, because yeah. you're, you know, through your book, I think you're giving support um, sure. and you know, validation, I think for other parents yeah. that are going through similar experiences. Um, sure. and on that note, I, I wanted to know if you would just based on your experiences, you know, what kind of advice would you give to parents of children who were just recently diagnosed with autism? Hmm.
0: That's a good one. You know, I, I wrote in the book, um, I, I made a couple of mistakes when I, when we first got diagnosed and some, some were not my fault and some were <laughs> on purpose, but um, you know, at that time when my daughter was diagnosed just several years ago, I had zero social media. Like I was that person that had nothing, not even like my space back in the day. I had zero. social. Uh, media. I remember my it, space. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I had nothing. I never jumped on the bandwagon I of any kind of, of platform and people would, were shocked. Remember, I was in my thirties at this point and they were like, shocked that I never had had social media. Scared. It's really scared me is really what, what the bottom line was. And so when ASA was diagnosed, I, I didn't go to social media because I didn't have it. So I remember the only thing they had was a support group, which was not really that big. Um, it wasn't something that I found interest in. I found it to be very um, intimidating, (laughs) you know, uh, some of the topics were way too far from what I was experiencing at the time. So I went once and never went again. But again, I think that, so because of that, I stopped. Does that make sense? I didn't have, I didn't go to social media. I didn't look, I didn't look for any spaces where I could choose to belong. And I think that that would be my suggestion, my advice. Now that we have social media, there are so many mothers. It's not just me. There's so many moms who are creating blogs, who are creating um, websites, nonprofits, uh, support groups that are online for special needs moms. And I think that online presence gives you that um not protection, but it helps you a little bit to kind of ease in, if that makes sense, right? Because you don't have to go show up somewhere face-to-face and 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 share your heart with strangers. You can be online, look for the spaces you love, look for the websites that draw you in, look for the kind of messages you're looking for, and then go all in. You know, um, there's uh, all different kinds, but I know that's what I was trying to create with the Mocha Tribe Diaries, is a place where I could share stories where moms would know that they belong there. You belong here in this space because we're all going, you know, going through this together. So, I would, I would, I would say that to find a space on social media you belong because not every space is made for everybody. There are some, you know, blogs that I don't choose to follow for certain reasons, and some that I love. So, I think it's great we have diversity and choices in that space. But the second thing, um, you know, a big part of what I'm doing, and I think we'll get to this a little later. I, I would find the first opportunity to get face to face with another mom that has a special needs child. There, there is something, um, very healing and therapeutic when you can sit across the table from someone who has walked such a similar road than you. It doesn't matter who they are, how different their story is. Um, that, that to me was something that I found through the Mocha tribe diaries through sharing those stories. And, uh, it was very much rewarding and healing for me that I was not expecting. I was, I was trying to give back and really I was the one, you know, getting in return. So, um, finding social media presences that you feel are good for you and meet, you know, whatever your mission is in this journey. And then second of all, getting face to face with someone else that's going through what you're going through in any way, shape or form.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree with you because I speak, you know, I work with a lot of families with young children and that is one of the things I do suggest is just, you know, speaking to another parent that's been through it. Um, and I think this is, a, you know, a good segue into the next question about about your website, about the Mocha Tribe Diaries. So I was wondering if you could just talk about your website, you know, how, how you started it um, and what's available on it. Because I know it's a huge source for support for a lot of families. And I just wanted to learn more about the journey of how it began. Yeah.
0: So it started with the book. Remember we talked about the book. Um, I was, I was feeling so, um, I was feeling like the process was so healing for me to write my stuff down, you know, to put it on paper. It's on black and white. I almost felt like writing my story meant I didn't have to carry it so much, you know, in my, in my heart, in my mind, I could just put it down and leave it there. And I could always go back to it. If I, wanted to reflect, but I didn't have to carry it so much. And I think that alone was really a, a powerful you know, metaphor of a lot of different things. But when I, when I saw that, I thought, well, I have to test the book, right? I have to have people read it. Really, the intent was for my family and friends to read it because I want them to know our story as Isla moves around in our community, in our town, to know her. And so all of my test readers, I had about 30, I would say, in the beginning, Um, just close family friends, they did not have special needs kids. So I thought, okay, I need to get this into special needs mom's hands, right? So I want to know what they're, are they going to relate if their story is so different? Like what, how's this going to go? And so I had this idea for um, a blog, but not only to share my book with them and to share my story, but once I shared with them for them to share theirs with me. And then that way I could continue writing stories for them. So the Mocha tribe diaries is a compilation of moms who have read my book and then we meet at Starbucks and they spend a couple of hours just telling me their story. Um, just like I wrote my book. Like I wanted, I wanted my book to feel like you were sitting somewhere (laughs) with a good coffee and just sharing with a friend, you know, that was the goal. I wanted it to be informal and conversational and I wanted to give that back. And so yeah, we meet at Starbucks. The mom tells me their story and then I'm able to use creative writing to give them a really powerful story to share with their friends and family. Some of who don't even know some of the things they went through, you know, and in that way. And so I think storytelling is so, so important, um, way more important than I think we give credit for. And so that's what the Mocha tribe diaries is. It is a a sharing of stories Um, in the most creative and impactful way that I can think of (laughs) to do it. And so that's how it got started. That was the Mocha Tribe uh, Diaries. So the the nonprofit is actually called the Mocha Tribe. And then um, the website is Mocha Tribe Diaries, and that's where the blog is. So there is a part of the blog that has the the Mocha Stories. So you'll actually see the hands of moms around a a cup, a coffee cup, Mocha 1 through 8, There's another part of the blog that is just uh, stories that I have to share with, you know, of my daughter and just um, different blog posts, different topics. And then there's another component that I think we'll get to a little later about PDA, which is the unique subset of autism that she has. Um, So all of them, though, I think if you follow me and follow my writing, um, I, I really believe that it's I'm not... I don't consider myself necessarily an an author or a writer. I think I'm a storyteller and I really love telling stories. And what I tell everyone is I think that storytelling, a good story will help people understand populations of people, um, opinions, issues that you wouldn't typically understand, right? That's the whole point of telling a good story. And if you understand something or someone that you didn't normally understand quickly follows respect. We usually start to respect that group of people, that issue, that opinion. And right after respect comes love. And I think that with love, there's a lot of positive change that can happen. And I think that's what's needed in our, our specific population of people dealing with special needs, whether it's our children or, or the moms that care for them.
1: I think that's such a good point. What you talked about, about you know, having the book for your community to get, to get to know your daughter. I think that, yeah, you know, it's such an important, like, I never thought about that. Um, because even as she gets older and she has teachers, even the fact that the teachers could read it and they could really understand yeah. Yeah. her in a very deep way. And they have,
0: it's, it's, uh, yeah, before it's, they get her, it's awesome. Yeah. It's you know, really um,
1: it's amazing. I, was, I want so one of the things I wanted to ask you because you said you meet with people locally, but I mean, how are you working it? Well, how are you working it now during the pandemic? But also, oh. do you ever meet with people virtually if they want if you know, they want to tell you their story and they're not yeah, but- local?
0: Um, the, what happened, so the Mocha, the Mocha stories ended with eight or nine, the release of the book. And then I beca- I got really big into the nonprofit. So I stopped it for a while. Um, I, I, I'm going to pick it up again and I don't know, I think virtual is, is a good option for me. I think that face-to-face is so, it's such an important thing. It's such a different experience. Um, but I have not done it through the pandemic, of course. And, um, but the other thing I was going to say, um, I'm forgetting now, I'm sorry. Oh, mm. uh, I forgot. I lost my train of thought. But it was about the the moms that I'm going to pick it up. I haven't... Oh, oh, I know. So I think for me, another another thing that I try to focus on is, you know, I mentioned this in the beginning. The area that I'm from is very underserved. We don't get a lot of... <laughs> support resources, especially like this. So I really do love that this stays true to my area, if that makes sense. I think that it will, of course, expand. It already has in the nonprofit world and the other things that I'm planning. Um, But the Mocha Tribe Diaries, the actual blog posts, I think will stay here for a while as they grow because there's only eight right now. There's eight or nine stories on there. So I think maybe to feature different places in different locations is now with the pandemic and doing so much through Zoom and Skype, Uh, It's such a fun possibility for sure.
1: And I know, you know, just the, all the IEP meetings are virtual as well. So a lot of times when you talk about, you know, just everyone going through their story, you know, IEP meetings being such an important meeting during the year because you're, you know, you have to advocate for services and what that year is going to look like. Um, And I think that it's, it just, you know, it's, it takes a while to get used to that kind of platform. It does. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but I think that just, you know, all the information you have on your website, is just very supportive because I think also people sometimes don't even know about services that they, they could even ask for. You know, this is a conversation right. that I have with a lot of parents and I tell them, well, you know, have you ever thought about this service or that service? You know, these are things that can be done. So I also think sometimes parents by, you know, going online, going to your website, being part of a community, you've become a little bit more knowledgeable about what's available to help your child. Um, So I I also want to talk about the audio recordings on on your website, if you could go into that a little bit more.
0: Yeah. um, That's a fun question that no one's asked me yet. And uh, I realized, remember, uh, go back to the book when you talked about how um, this was important to me to share with my community, right? Because we live and breathe in this community. And I think that what happens sometimes, especially um, with my personality, you come into something like this and you just want to change the whole world, right? I just want to change the whole world. And I want everybody to know, and I want everybody to do better. And I want this and that. And I think sometimes we have to focus on just the world that surrounds our little kiddo, right? So the whole point is if I share her story, everybody in the community, when they see her out and about, will know everything about her. They'll be invested in her and want to protect her and not avoid her. And that was important. Um, And I think that in order to do that, I had to get to my community in a lot of different ways not everybody wants to read a book. Some people want, they love audio. They love audio, audio books, right. And audio versions and they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're busy. They don't have time to, especially a book. Um, even my blogs, if you read the Mocha tribe, the, the diaries, some of them are pretty lengthy. They're a big, long story for that's written for a mama and not everybody has that time. And so the idea for audio was really so that I could grab a lot of different people in. I wanted everybody to either listen or read or read and listen. A lot of people read and listen while I'm, you know, they follow along as I'm, as I'm, as I'm saying it. Um, but the really fun thing for me about the audio portion of the blog is that every single one that you hear that's recorded on the website, I did it one time. The first time it was very important to me to be authentic in the way that I read a story out loud So the very first time I read it out loud is on that audio recording. Um, And so I think because of that, there's so much emotion in it because a lot of them are really emotional stories, you know? So um, it's just another way to reach people. And with that being said, the book also is available in Audible. The the Waiting for the Lightbulb is in Audible also. And just like the book, I knew I was going to, I mean, yeah, just like the book I had to do by myself or self-publish. I knew that that audiobook um, was important to reach more people, and I'd have to do it alone. So, <laughs> I literally made a makeshift little thing in my house. I got some blankets and some chairs, and uh, bought a little microphone on Amazon. And I recorded that thing in the middle of the night when people were sleeping. When uh, you know, little breaks here and there on weekends, and so the audiobook too is is really special to me. That was another uh,
1: big project and way to share. That's, that's amazing. Cause I had, cause you know, I have audible and I listen to audiobooks a lot and yes. you know, I think, you know, even when I'm walking or when I'm driving, it's a, it's a different way to absorb information. Sure. Um, and I love audiobooks that are read by the author
0: because I, you
1: know, your book is so emotional, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it, yeah. it's, I think it would only, it should only be done. It should only be read by you. And I I think because you have the, you experience it, you have the emotion and, you know, to have that book kind of read by somebody else, I don't think it would be the same. So I'm glad that you brought it up just as an audio book, because I know that you know, during this time, it's sometimes it's hard to get books. I mean, we're still, you know, you could still order and you could still get it. But I know sometimes things are taking a long time. And by going to Audible, you could just, you know, download the book right away. So I think that is another great way of getting the information. And I agree with you. I think that what I love about your website is that it's just like, so there's like so much multimedia to it. And it's multi-sensory, right? Um, yeah, exactly. cause everyone absorbs information in different ways. You know, some people right. are visual learners, some people, audi- you know, they're more audio. you know, auditory learners. Um, right. and so what I like about what you have is that you just have a variety, um, right. and, and you're just so passionate and you, you know, you're really getting the information out there to help parents and just going to your website. I mean, anyone who's listening, going to your website, it's, you could, I mean, I could feel your aura, from the website just immediately, you know, I could, yeah, it's, it really is. It's, it's just wonderful what you've done with it. And it really hasn't been that long because when did you start the website? This was in, um,
0: gosh, this would have been January, 2018. So it's yeah. A couple Uh of years. Yeah. A couple of years. And I've been adding slowly, but, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a full-time, I work full-time. I have three kids, so I do what I can when I can. But um, I, I knew that creating the website was going to be an important platform to use because, um, you know, social media is social media is tricky with all of their algorithms and what gets posted when and who, what you see and when you see it. And so I knew there had to be a central place where, all, where everything could be found, you know, pretty quickly. So it's shared on multiple places.
1: So I just want to talk a couple of minutes about PDA, if you could talk a little bit about, you know, what that is um, and explain it to any parents out there that are listening? Sure. PDA is uh, probably a whole nother podcast, but I'll,
0: I'll do my best. Um, through Through the journey of the book, which you know, since you've read it, the entire time that I was writing the book, there was a lot of Mysteries. I would say there was things about Isla that just weren't adding up. We knew she had autism, but even that took a long time to diagnose um, because some things were just not presenting classically like autism, but others were very clear to be autism and it really um it tripped up a lot of different people from the te- from the schools to the the medical world and so through the process in chapter 10 i find out um through even more research and digging that isla has what's called pathological demand avoidance and pda is a subset of autism so think back to dsm 4 right because we're in dsm 5 now um
1: mm-hmm.
0: and now we have levels and there's things that are different but think back to 4 when they used to categorize things that didn't match up so well as atypical autism, right? So PDA would fall into that part if, if that's what we were talking about, but it, it's not necessarily a recognized diagnosis. It's more a collection of profiles under the autism spectrum. And so I think that, um, for us, just to give you a couple of points, there's eight characteristics, which we don't have time to go into all of them. But, um, the biggest thing is, Think about uh, ODD. I don't know if you've talked about ODD on this site before, but the oppositional defiance disorder.
1: I mean, um, I haven't talked about it here in the podcast. Okay. But
0: I know about it. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, if, if, so just to give you a scenario, if oppositional defiance disorder, if ODD is, I won't do it, right? We usually say it's children who won't do something. I won't do that. I refuse to do this. Uh, PDA is more of, I can't do it. My anxiety is so high I feel so lacking of control that I physically cannot do what you're telling me to do. And not only that, for some kids, like my daughter, I don't understand what's coming out of your mouth because I also have a language and speech delay. And then I also just want to make you happy, but I can't read your face right now, so I'm not sure how to react. So I'm going to react one way and hope it's right. There's a lot of different features in it, um, but PDA is just a profile underneath the autism spectrum. So... It tripped us up for a while because some characteristics are are not very typical to autism. So one of the big ones is um, being socially, you know, a lot more socially engaged. Isla, when she was little, had eye contact and she was very friendly. In fact, sometimes overly friendly. And we learned over time that that friendliness and that wanting to, um, you know, make a connection with people, was, was sometimes not understood very well by her. It was just getting her, you know, the attention or connection that she needed at that time. And so there's a really a lot back. I don't know how much I'm going to go into it, but really what you have to know is that it is a profile of characteristics under autism. It's, uh, started out in the UK. It's a lot more studied and there's a lot of bloggers and YouTubers in the UK, but it recently came to the U S and today this podcast is being recorded on the day that it's, The national PDA Day (laughs) of all of all days. So, um Wow. Yeah. So the USA now has their own. Uh the PDA in UK was the PDA Society. That was the really big organization. And now, literally as of this week, the United States has their own PDA association. It's called PDA Northamerica.com. Every single thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, every single thing you need to know about PDA is on there. It's a beautiful and awesome interactive website with all kinds of resources from webinars to YouTube videos, to blogs, um, other resources. I'm working very closely with them now to try to get this book as part of the resources for them um, and hopefully do some guest blogs on there too for them. So yeah, there's, there's a lot more coming and these are usually the kids that are very misunderstood because they're, they're not fitting the mold of any particular diagnosis and it ends up being PDA.
1: So interesting. So I'm so gl- I'm so glad you gave us that resource, and it's also going to be in the description as well. A link to that yes. website. So and for any to-
0: yeah, on my website, I'm sorry, on the the Mocha Tribe Diaries, uh-huh. I did an entire PDA series um, for the month of April. When we were quarantined. I thought, what could I do every day that would keep me motivated? Because it was so so hard. <laughs> and uh, every single day of April, I posted a different post about PDA. So if you go to Mocha Tribe Diaries. Under the menu, there's a PDA um, selection, and there are 28 different descriptors. I go through every characteristic, all different examples and real-life scenarios that Isla showed us and how we've helped her cope. Um, it's just become a really great resource, too, that's just very much in real time and very realistic. You know, there's no, it's not a lot of medical jargon in there. It's real-life stories from a real-life family.
1: Well, that, I mean, that's amazing that you have that information. i also put that link in there as well. So people could get to it quickly. Um, That kind of leads into my next and my last question is about, um, about this pandemic and, you know, just working with families. I see a lot of families, you know, struggling because a lot of the kids um, don't understand, you know, what's going on. Um, You know, it's hard for parents to get their children to wear masks if they are able to get outside, Um, And I wanted to know just, you know, what kind of any tips that you have for those families out there that are really struggling during this pandemic?
0: There's a couple. This is a hard this is a hard question, Becca, for me, because I struggled and I'm still struggling and um, I, I don't have all of the answers, but I will answer it in a couple different ways that I know have helped me personally just as a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, regardless of Isla, cause remember I have other kids here too. They're all home. They've all been home for like ever. And it's, it's, uh, still going on. Um, and then a part specifically to, to my daughter. Um, so for her, I will tell you, if you're talking about the mask, I think that for us, we have to really focus. Well, even for us, we have to focus on the importance of the sensory friendly environment, Right. And I think a lot of times we think that's only for our children, but it's actually really for us too. And so I have this belief that our, all of our senses in this home are important. What we're smelling, what we're tasting, what we're feeling, what we're hearing, right? From music to whatever, essential oils to the house being picked up or whatever, you know, where your desk is in order. There's all of those senses are so important to our mood, how we react Um, how we feel in our space and home. And that's very important to Isla too. She has a very different sensory profile at school than she does at home. Right. So I think she associates certain smells during certain times or certain feelings of certain things for different things at school. And so we're trying to mimic that at home um, by making her comfortable in those ways. So like the mask, I already know this, you know, the sensory friendly sense that we use here at home, like our essential oils. So I've I've dabbed that in the little mask that she has so that she loves to put on that mask and smell that particular smell. Um, That's one thing that we did, I know, for the mask part. And so I think just the smell alone, she's not feeling so much the elastic around her ears. She's concentrating on the smell, if that makes sense. So um, we Ah. had a cloth one that was made, and that was a really easy thing, uh, I know, as far as the mask goes. But uh, for me, like I said... I've just tried to focus on making myself comfortable in the sensory world, knowing that everything else is really hard because I I get that and um, I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to do the best that I can.
1: Well, yeah, nobody's perfect. And I think just as, you know, just you know, I would say the past couple of months, you know, speaking to a lot of families and doing a lot of parent coaching of the other things that I found helpful for the families is just, you know, creating schedules. Cause I think that's one of the other things that's so hard is because the kids, well, we all love schedules. And so it's hard when we don't have like a kind of like a set schedule for the day. Um, so creating, you know, a loose schedule, having a visual schedule, Um, One of the things that's also been really, really helpful for the families that I've worked with is social stories um, and just kind of explaining to them. um, I recently did this for an adult that I was working with with his family, just talking about in the beginning things that he can't do that is making him feel sad and mad. um, But then focusing on the second half of the book on what he can do. um, And when he feels a certain way, what is he going to do? Um, So I think that's been one of the biggest struggles with the families I've been working with is just, you know, not having a schedule. And I've also noticed that a lot of families are also having, you know, sleep disturbances as far as the kids not being able to sleep the night. Um, But You know, I think like what you had said, you know, autism is not a single story. What I always tell people, because I've been working with children and adults with autism for 20 years, um, that, you know, you meet one person with autism, you meet one person with autism, you know, that everyone is just so different. Um, and I think that, you know, your website, your book, all the stuff that you've done has been a great, is a great support for parents. So I think one of the biggest things is, you know, we can't always resolve, these issues, you know, these problems were in a pandemic. Um, But what we can do is we can reach out to others that are also struggling and try to exchange some ideas um, or even just being able to talk about it sometimes could just be a relief to just let it out.
0: I think that that's, I think that's part of it. I think we always want to fix the problem and sometimes it's helpful to just be in a space with someone that gets it, you know? So um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I've, I've learned the power of that too. Uh, For sure. And just to speak a little bit backwards to yours, I was just going to mention here about social stories. We use YouTube a lot for social stories. I think people always assume it has to be a book, which we love using that too, like pictures. Um, But I know Isla particularly loves YouTube. So if I look ahead of time for something, right, of course it has to be kid friendly. We use YouTube kids a lot the um, no matter what it is, whether it's the pandemic or where we're going or masks or whatever the case is, uh, that seems to do really, really good for her, to, for her to get that visual and actually see people communicating and talking, you know, live, real people. So that has helped too. But um yeah, but, I yes. do.
1: I like the, I also like social stories on YouTube. So if yeah. you do have any, you know, channels that you that you like, I could also include that in there as well because I'm always looking for okay. it. Okay. <laughs> so that is that is a great night, right? Because it doesn't always have to be a book. It could definitely right. be a video. Um, what I've been doing recently is using a tool called Edpuzzle and, inco- okay. and embedding questions into the social stories as well okay. or into whatever it is, just to kind of you know, have a pause and to think about it and to answer some questions. Um, So, so is there anything else that you want to talk about before we finish up? Um, Well, the, the one thing that I think we didn't touch
0: on was the actual uh, events that I do for special needs moms. And I think that's important uh, to mention um, because through, after writing the blogs and um, getting together face-to-face with all of these moms, I realized that I, you know, maybe we should get a lot of them together. Maybe, maybe, you know, one-on-one is so important, but what would it look like if I had a bunch of moms in one room sharing stories, like not about education, not about information, no PowerPoints or conferences, but a retreat where they literally could just be in one space and share stories. I thought that would be powerful and I didn't know how it looked, but that's why I made the Mocha tribe, the nonprofit so that I could do an event and try it. So last year we had the first one, it was called the ultimate mocha session. And, um, we had about 60 moms just from the area, from our area. And we got, we had a, we got a place and we put them in groups based on the gender and age of their kids. And they shared stories. And it was one of the most powerful, impactful days, um, to see strangers that have so much in common who relate so quickly? Who literally can belong without explanation? It was it was just powerful, and so the ultimate mocha session that was last year, and we have another one coming up. We were supposed to have one in March, um, but of course the pandemic uh, canceled the world. So we uh, moved it to July. So there will be the second annual one in July. And this one's going to have a hundred moms. We literally have probably 20 states represented. Um, I don't know if they'll also come. We're probably going to have a lot less, right? Because things change as far as travel and stuff, but that's been impactful. And then over the last year, as my platform has grown and the website's been shared, um, I have been able to partner with two really, um, big, organizations in the autism world. The first one is Finding Cooper's Voice, which is one of the larger um, you know, blog sites for autism with Kate Swenson. And then the other one is a nonprofit called United in Autism with Julie Hornock. So the three of us have partnered and we made a weekend long retreat for special needs moms. And, uh, so we're going to have the first one in October. It's going to be so incredible. We have so many wonderful things planned and that website is, uh, and that organization is called labeled and loved. And so you can go to www.labeledandloved.org for all of that information. But that's where a lot of our time and attention is going into right now is making more opportunities and creating more experiences where we can actually put mom's face to face with each other.
1: That's amazing. And that's all on your website as far as it's all know, there. Yeah. Yep. So that's, yep. I mean, and that's only going to grow. And I think such I a hope. source of support. <laughs> yes. So, yes. Well, thank, so thank you so much for being here today. I, um, Good. you know what, because I'm definitely going to be listening to your, cause I did read your book and I yeah. want to read the audio book. Now I want to listen to the audio book. <laughs> so, I encourage, yeah. and there'll be a link in that as well. So Um, Thank you so much for being here today. I think that, you know, I learned so much from you and you've given so many, so many great resources for other parents out there.
0: Thank you very much, Becca. I appreciate your
1: time. So thank you. Thanks for listening today. Listen and learn with us at Language During Mealtime.